All right, so we've been in the series together, right? And who are we talking about? Do you, you know who we're talking about? Jacob, right, very good. So we're talking about this guy named Jacob. And one of the things that we have figured out very quickly here is Jacob is this deceiving person, right? He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. He's a guy who lies. He deceived his older twin brother Esau, and thus he stole the birthright. What that really simply means is that means he got a lot of money and a lot of privileges because he stole that birthright. He then deceives his father Isaac by taking his brother's blessing. And that was another huge thing that was taken away from Esau. So Esau, his older twin brother, is now seething. He's had enough. His twin is now in his crossroads, crosshairs. And so Genesis 27, verse 41, it tells us this. It tells us that Esau now wants to kill his very own brother. So this is a big deal, what Jacob has done and has been doing. Well, mom steps in. Rebecca loves both her boys, and so she comes up with a plan. Let's send Jacob to Haran, thus getting Jacob far enough away into a safe place for a few months or, you know, a few months until the anger subsides of Esau. Then she'd send word for Jacob to come home, and then they could be one big happy family again. Now, why Haran? Well, Grandpa Abraham had come from, I, uh, from Iran, from Haran, uh, um, uh, you know, hundreds of uh, years prior before he came to the promised land. And then Grandpa Abe left behind in Haran a settlement of people. And so they have a clan of people that grew there and they prospered over the years. And it was a place that, Haran was a place that was far enough away that, that you know, Esau wouldn't bother to follow. But yet there's family out there. And so Jacob wouldn't be alone. She hopes Jacob would marry a relative there and, and, you know, and bring home a daughter-in-law. You see that kind of plan in Genesis 27. It was a good plan. So Jacob hurries out of town, and he heads to Haran. It's about 500 miles away, kind of like going maybe from here to San Diego, except obviously not by car, but by your feet. So let's pick up the, sto- the, the story here. We're two days into the journey, the 500-mile journey. He's had two days to walk, two days to think, two days to ponder, two days to wonder what might have been. He's running for his life, and his family relationships, they're broken, they're destroyed. And on the evening of the second day, Jacob comes to the outskirts of a city called Luz or Luz. And not knowing if Luz is a dangerous place, he decides to, you know, camp out on the outskirts of town. Then, as he looks around, he's like, okay, i got to camp out here. I, you know, I need a, a blanket. I need a pillow and all this. So he finds Mike Lindell's very first My Pillow prototype, okay? And back then, his prototype was just a rock. And so literally, the Bible tells us he finds a rock, and that's when he lays his head down, and he begins to settle down to sleep. Now, based on what we know happens next, it makes me wonder if Jacob had trouble falling asleep because he had so much on his mind. I want you to think about this for a second. For the first 48 hours, he was probably running on pure adrenaline. Hey, his brother wants to kill him. He's got to get away and get away as fast as he can and get away to safety. And so now, a couple days into the trip, it's kind of the adrenaline wears off. And now his thoughts start to consume him. And for the first time in his life, he recognizes, man, I'm truly alone. He starts thinking about his family. He starts thinking about his aging father. He thinks about not being able to really say goodbye to everybody. He starts to feel anxious. 
because he's going to a distant land he's never been to and going to a family that he doesn't know. On top of that, he's full of worry and fear because of Esau's pledge to kill him. Perhaps he wondered, how did this happen to me? He's thinking, man, I'm Jacob. I'm the son of Isaac. I'm the grandson of Abraham. I'm the bearer of the promise of God, and I'm here running for my life? How did I get here? Well, we know how he got there, right? How did he get there? Who, who, who did he have to blame? Himself, right? He's the one who cheated his brother. He's the one who lied to his father. He was the deceiver. He's the one who breaks up his family. His heart is heavy because his conscience was guilty. His hands were not clean. God, what have I done? How many times have you laid your head down on the pillow and kind of just looked back and said, what did I do? How did I get myself into this situation? You've had similar feelings. And in those times, sometimes it's hard to fall asleep. But he finally does. And while he slept, Jacob had one of the most famous dreams in history. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you haven't yet, turn to Genesis 28. Genesis 28, where we'll pick up the story. We're going to start in verse 12 together. And in Genesis 28, verse 12, it says this. It says that he, Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. Now, God had spoken to to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. He had spoken to his father, Isaac. But God had never spoke to Jacob. Possibly, it's possible he spent his whole life living on the borrowed faith of his father and grandfather. He was raised in their faith. He was taught their faith. He knew their faith. He even believed their faith. But he had never had that same personal experience with God that his dad and granddad had. But now he's leaving the promised land. He's running for his life. Now he's in a place where he's disgraced himself. He has reached the bottom. He's in pain. And it's in that moment that God decides to come to Jacob. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain, Lewis said, is God's megaphone to rouse a sleeping world. And so God now moves to arouse Jacob even while he sleeps. And he does it through this strange dream. And in this dream, Jacob sees this ladder. In the Hebrew, it's really actually more a stairway. He sees a stairway descending from heaven to earth and landing in front of him. And on the stairway, Jacob sees all these angels. And they're going up and down the stairway. Now, what are the angels doing? Well, angels, you know, it literally means messengers of God. And we know from the book of Genesis that angels would take messages from earth up to heaven and from heaven down to earth. And at the top of the ladder, who is it that is there? It's the Lord, God himself. Jacob's at the bottom. Stairways filled with angels. So what does it mean? What's behind the story? Well, let's first, like we oftentimes try to do, is make sure we understand context. And we understand Jacob's context to maybe help us 
figure out what's happening here. Now, if you've been tracking with us the last couple of weeks, as we already mentioned, you know Jacob is a cheater. Jacob is a deceiver. And so knowing that that's his context, where my mind goes as I read the story, I would suggest to you this morning that one of the reasons that he cheated, one of the reasons that he deceived was because he didn't, Jacob didn't necessarily believe that God was truly with him, that God was truly involved in his life. Let me, let me talk you through that a little bit this morning. He has the same picture of God that I think some of us have today of God. Sure, there's a God up in heaven. Sure, there's a God out in heaven, but he just kind of sort of sits back and he lets things happen. This God who's out there, he doesn't really get involved in our lives. Maybe to Jacob, God was too big, too vast, too magnificent, too almighty to ever be concerned about the details of human life, especially his. I think we all feel that way at times or have felt that way, right? We have those feelings where maybe God loves me. I, I know the Bible says that, but it's a big world. And God's got a lot of problems to deal with. He can't take care of six, seven billion people all at once. How can God actually have time to worry about or think about or focus on me? Have you ever had those thoughts? I know I have. Yeah, I know God's omniscient, omnipresent. Big God, He can handle it, but I've still had the thoughts. Have you? Do you believe enough that God is actually involved in your daily life? Do you believe enough? Because I think, and I believe, if you and I actually believe God's involved in our daily life, I believe that would affect our decisions and the choices we make. Wouldn't you agree? You remember when you were a kid? And it just seemed like your parents always knew. Everybody remember those times? Where like if you did something, they found out and they knew. And it's like, how do they always know? And so when you were a little, little kid and you have this feeling like they know, and I was one of those kids because I felt like my parents were like watching me all the time and they knew what I was going to do, and so that actually affected my behavior. And I remember I was seven years old and I went off to my first birthday party and, and, and I got the guy Spider-Man underoos. That's what I remember. <laughs> and I went off to this party and I'll never forget the first thing they wanted to do is, uh, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. You know, Proverbs talks about that. I should have figured that out back then. The first thing they wanted to do is take eggs and throw them at the stop sign. Now, now you know, some of you might a big deal, whatever. I got to tell you, I was thinking my parents are watching. I can't do it. There's no way I'm going to do that. Later on, we went to the movie theater, and, and they wanted to um, watch a movie and then go from one to the other. And you're saying, why is this guy your friend? He didn't last as my friend very long. But they wanted to go from one movie theater to the other. I stood outside for that second movie. The entire, I can still remember I walked into a pet store and just kind of stood out and hung out for like a couple hours because I thought my parents were watching me. It affected my behavior that I thought my parents were with me. If you actually believe that, and I'm using that in the negative, but if you actually believe that God was with you, present with you, do you think that would affect the way you talk? 
do you think that would affect the way you forgive, the choices you make, the actions you take? I would suggest to you, if we believed it enough, it would absolutely impact our decisions and our choices. The question for you right now is, what would you do if you were absolutely confident that God was right there with you? If God was watching? If God was involved with you in that moment? What would you do? And would you do something differently than you normally would? You see, the dream is in part a message about the nearness of God. God's saying to Jacob, Jacob, I'm nearer to you than you think. And although I'm in heaven and you're there on earth, there's a stairway that reaches up to me. And my angels, they're there and they're constantly with me and with you. And they're watching over you and they tell me what you need. And I'm here to send messages back to earth and help you when there is a need. I'm not far away. In fact, Jacob... I've been with you all along. I was even with you when you tricked Esau. I was with you when you deceived your father. And I'm with you here tonight in this desolate place in the midst of your pain. The message of nearness is important to all of us. Lest we glance over this too quickly. How do I know? You remember Jesus' last words to his disciples? He gathers them together and he tells them, hey, I have a mission for you. I have a plan for you. And I want you to go out and I want you to, first of all, what? Make what? I want you to make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I've commanded. And how does he finish? What are Jesus' last words? He says, and some translations say, and lo, and lo, I am what? With you. I am with you. How long? Always or till the end of time or... Different translations have it different way. I am with you. This message of nearness is a big deal. And God recognizes it and he comes to Jacob and God recognizes it with with us as his disciples and he says, I am with you. The dream is also a message of the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises. You see, Jacob is now receiving the very same promise that he had given to his dad and to his granddad. Look at verse 13. Genesis 28, 13, it says this, There above it, which is the ladder or the stairway, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God, of, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I, will, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. He delivers the same message. In other words, my son, I know who you are, and I know what you've done. Nothing's hidden from me, and I know how frightened you are. I know that you feel guilty about your past. I know you feel an uncertainty about your presence, and I also know that you're fearful about your future. But to all that I say, in spite of your sin, in spite of your duplicity, in spite of your trickery, my covenant promise that I made to your granddad, that I made to your dad, I am making to you, my covenant still stands. I will do what I have promised. And not only that, I want to tell you, Jacob, I will be with you. You see, God's covenant promise to Jacob is a promise. It's a total solution 
to his guilt that he feels, the fear that he was experiencing, and to the anxiety that was tripping him up. Through all of this, Jacob is learning his God is a covenant keeper. And there's no place that he can go where God will not be there. God fulfills his promises. God is with you. And that's a message I think some of us need to hear this morning. God is with you, and he fulfills his promises to you. Look at verse 16, Genesis 28. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And this is obvious and quick, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I know you and I, when we call our church buildings houses of God, you know, we're essentially saying they're places dedicated to God. But there's an underlying assumption that sometimes goes along with that for us. And that underlying assumption is, that underlying sense is, well, this is where God is. And God was reminding Jacob, and it's something we know to be true, but it's maybe sometimes we need to be reminded ourselves is that any place can be a house of God for you, especially if you will choose to meet God there. You can meet God in the house of God on the freeway or in a hospital waiting room or at a restaurant or at a, on a boat on the delta or in a plane soaring over the skies or alone in a, in a recliner or chilling on a park bench, wherever you are, there is a stairway from God to you right where you're at. Surely the Lord is, not was, surely the Lord is in this place. And Jacob was like, I, I wasn't even aware of it. That's an amazing truth for you and I this morning. Because you and I, the way we tend to work is we tend to think that God is with us after we've had an incredible spiritual experience. Um, our middle schoolers are getting ready to head off to camp this week. And for a lot of them, there is going to be this sense, and then our high schoolers will head off a couple weeks later, and there will be this sense of God is here in this place. God is doing something great in this moment, and I felt his presence. But you need to understand, God is in this place, whether we feel it or not, whether we see it or not, whether we sense it or not, whether we know it or not. Jacob has just learned that God is always with him, always, whether he knows it or not. Now, I want you to think seriously about this for a moment. Have you actually learned this? More importantly, not just here, have you learned it? Have you discovered it? in your own life. Because it seems to me that people find it easier to meet God when they're going through the trials and the tragedies and the difficulties and the pains of life than in the everyday, mundane, boring routine of life. It seems like we're much more likely to have this moment with God, this experience with God in the bed of affliction or when we lose our job or when our children are sick or when our friends betray us or, or when our marriage collapses. We're much more likely to meet God in the accident, than in just the mundane routine of life. Why? 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 Why does it take tragedy? Why does it take failure? Why does it take financial setback or heartache or illness or the collapse, a collapse of our dreams? Why does it take all that for us to finally look up and to say, oh my goodness, God is here. He's with me in this place. And how did I miss it? How did I not know it? Church, you need to understand God's great desire is to meet with you, to commune with you today, 
No matter what you're going through, the highs or the lows, the pain or the exhilaration, God wants to meet with you. He desires to commune with you. Let's go on to verse 18, Genesis 28, 18 and 19. Jacob decides to set up this altar, commemorating this this moment, this incredible encounter with God. He calls the place where this happens Bethel. And Bethel simply means the house of God. And Jacob discovered here that God is with him, that God's present everywhere. This is where he figured it out. And, and then secondly, uh, verse 20 through 22, he then makes a vow to God and he says, God, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to come back to this place and I'm going to give you a tenth of all that you give to me in a tithe. Tithe literally means tenth. Kind of modeling after his grandfather who did the same thing. Now, here's where the story gets really exciting. I want you to turn your Bible, flip ahead to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. There's the story. Jacob's encounter with God is actually nuanced in the New Testament. And, and let, me, let me set this up for you. Philip is a person that, that, that Jesus reaches out to. And so Philip meets, meets Jesus for the first time, and he's so excited about his meeting with Jesus that he hurries off to tell his friend Nathaniel. And, and Philip called Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, John 1, but that didn't impress Nathaniel. It was like, Jesus of Nazareth, whatever, Nazareth, what, what's the big deal about that? Can any good come out of Nazareth? John 1, and Philip just says, hey, why don't you come and see? Come check it out for yourself. No fresher, but how about you make up your own mind? When Jesus sees Nathanael, and here's where I want you to see, Jesus said to him, look at John chapter 1, verse 47. Jesus said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, I suspect you've read that before, and you've just passed right over it. But it actually ties directly to our story. Israel is the name that God is eventually going to give Jacob. Later in our story, later this summer, we'll talk about it. Jacob means what? It means, it means you know, cheater or deceiver. But Israel means a noble person who prevails with God. I like one, interp- uh, one commentator's definition. It, they, they say it's God's, Israel means God strives. Another commentator describes it this way. God, or may God rule. May God rule. In essence, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, you, Nathaniel, though you come from the DNA, though you come from the seed of a deceiver, I changed him. And now you are a living representation of that change. There's no deceit in you. You're a noble person. You're a man of integrity. There's no falsehood in you. There's no trickery in you. You are not a, you know, Jacobite. You are an Israelite. And he says this, a true Israelite. Why? Because God rules and reigns in his life. God rules and reigns in his life. He's a true Israelite. Uh, my grandfather, uh, the last uh, few weeks or so, was, was in his home and he had caregivers. There are true caregivers and there are caregivers who are not true caregivers. And uh, he, he just passed away last week, went down, and, or a couple weeks ago, and went down, had, had a service this last week, talking to my grandfa- grandmother. And Talking to her, I discover she tells me the story that just blew my mind. There are true caregivers, and there are ones who are, you know, not 
these caregivers, some of these caregivers literally stole money from the room, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, stole checks, went and wrote cat checks, cash checks. Yes, so many people ask me after for sure. Yes, we've already called the police. They've already started that whole process. I was like, are you kidding me? Seriously? You're caring for elderly people? and this is, You're not a true caregiver. He looks at Nathaniel and says, you are a true Israelite. God is ruling and reigning in your life. I just want to ask this question. Are you a true Christian? No, I mean, really. As you look at your life, not just in name only, but are you a genuine, born-again, Bible-believing, Spirit-led, fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Jesus follower? Are you a true Christian where God rules and reigns in your life? Maybe to use Jesus' words, are you a true Israelite? Nathan wasn't merely a carnal descendant of Jacob, but a true Israelite in action, in behavior, demonstrating the qualities and the characteristics of his heavenly father. Now later on, Nathaniel will say to Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 49, you are the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus then responds to that statement of Nathaniel. Here's our verse this morning. This is where it leads. This is where the story leads. John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus says this to him. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on who? On who? The Son of Man. In the Gospel of John, Jacob's ladder is not a what, but a who. You see, in Genesis 28, God was at the top and Jacob was at the bottom. But in John 1, the Son of Man is himself the stairway that leads to heaven, that connects the two. And the Son of Man, I think most of us, if not all of us, might know, or at least a lot of us know, the Son of Man is a title for who? It's an easy answer when you're in church. It's a title for who? Jesus. Jacob's ladder, the stairway is Jesus Christ himself. The Lord alone stands with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, and he's the one who bridges the gap between us. He's the ladder by which God reaches down to man and by which man reaches up to God. That's why later in the Gospel of John, same Gospel, John chapter 14, verse 6, it, Jesus says this, he says, I am the, anybody know I am the what? the way. I'm the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I'm that ladder. I'm that stairway that you get there. God said to Jacob, wherever you go, I will be there with you. And we know from the New Testament that it is Jesus himself who was going to be with Jacob. Now, this is a big deal because he's going to go to Haran. And, and we'll get to this later in the summer. But his mom thought he was going for a couple months. He's going to end up staying in Haran in this far-off place for over 20 years. If you don't think it's a good idea that God kicked the whole thing off and says, Lo, I'm with you always. Right? Jesus' word, New Testament, Old Testament words, the latter. I'm with you wherever you go. But Jesus was going to be with him. So what about you this morning? 
First question is, have you had a Bethel moment? Have you had a house of God moment where you have actually come to realize, hey, God is with me. Whatever I'm going through right now, God is with me. Talked to an individual at the first service and kind of going through a lot right now. A lot of trials, a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges. And I just said, hey, man, it sounds like God was speaking to you this morning. And you and God, maybe, maybe today, you can go somewhere, find a spot, and you and God have a God moment, have a house of God, have a Bethel moment to get reset, recentered, because no matter what you're going, you need to hear, you need to understand, like Jacob, the pain, the suffering, the anxiety, the fear. Hey, God's with you. God's with you. But what else is Bethel? This house of God moment. You know what else it is? It's a place of new beginnings. It's a place where just like Jacob, we have an opportunity to start fresh. Why? Is it because of what we're going to do? No. It's because that's when God came to us. The house of moment, the, the house of, you know, the Bethel, the house of God moment, that's God coming to us. That's us recognizing, hey, God's the one who does it. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Jesus dies for us. That's the amazing grace of God. God's grace, it's available to every single person here this morning. And the grace of God is for all of us. It's for cheaters, it's for liars, it's for thieves, it's for adulterers, it's for deceivers. God's grace is available to everybody. And I love how Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 describe it. It simply says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access. There's the ladder. There's the stairway. It says, through Jesus we have gained access. How? By faith into this grace in which we now stand. The minute you are ready to come clean with God, the minute you are ready to surrender in faith to Him, the ladder's there. The stairway's there. God's waiting. He's waiting for you to say, here's my life. And God in that moment wants to, in that moment can be right now. God wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to give you a new beginning. I want to encourage you this morning. Wherever you're at, you come to that Bethel moment, that house of God moment, and you get right with God. Some of you for the very first time. Some of you coming back to God. Some of you just being encouraged to keep going strong with God. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning acknowledging that we need you. That you are the way through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the stairway that connects us to you, God. And God, I, I imagine a lot of us come here this morning before you and there's a handful of people I suspect, God, who maybe they've been living off the faith of a friend, of a family member, or maybe even just culturally. But Father, there's some this morning who it's time to have their Bethel moment. It's time for them, Lord, to say they need a fresh start, a new beginning. God, I recognize there's some in here, they've been trying to do it on their own, thinking they don't really need you. And if you're here this morning and you're ready for a fresh start and you're ready to ask Jesus into your life to be your Lord and to be your Savior, I want to give you that opportunity to say, God, my life is yours.
Heavenly Father, would you hear these prayers? And if you've never asked Jesus into your life to be your Lord, to be your Savior, if you have never been a true Jesus follower, would you pray with me right now and just pray something like this? It's not even the exact words. It's more that you would mean it in your heart. Pray something like this. Say, Jesus, I come before you this morning and I'm ready to start over. Jesus, I'm ready to receive you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. So Jesus, in this moment, by faith, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to your Lordship. And I acknowledge and recognize you are my way to heaven. And so right now, Jesus, I receive the gift you offer. By your grace, Jesus, I am ready to start over. And this time, Lord, I invite you in into my life to lead the way. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Father God, I pray there's been one, two, a handful of people who they prayed that prayer in sincerity and today the angels in heaven rejoice because another is saved. Father, for the rest of us who who have a faith in you and just needed to have that special and need that special moment again. We come to you trusting in you, Jesus, that you're the way. You're the truth. You're the life. And we put our hope and trust in you once again today. And God, right now we come to give you an offering as an act of worship. As Jacob gave that tithe, God, some of us, we come now ready, prepared, excited to give you our tithe our percentage, uh, this amount that you use for your glory and your kingdom. So God, we worship.